You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To learn more about the Collective Church in Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington, visit us online at thecollectivechurch.com. Wow. Y'all are such sweet people. I didn't expect to be preaching this morning. Because um, I just did, you know, at a Freedom Conference this weekend in Tri-Cities. And just staying over was, I mean, I just like to come stay so I can go to church and hang out with everybody and hang out with everybody at Crestview and, and get a little bit more time in and whatever happens, happens. And here we are. So thanks for having me. You know, I always want to honor, you know, Pastor Ben and Heather and what an incredible, not job they're doing, because it's not a job, uh, what an incredible assignment that they're fulfilling. That's probably the better words, because you couldn't have two better people at the helm, you know, leading you on your mission as a body, a precious body, as a precious bride, because that's what you are. You're the bride of Christ. This is the gathering of people. Uh, one spe- specific gathering of people that is um, the body that represents the body, the whole body. And Ben and Heather are just tremendous leaders. You know that because they lead in love, and that kind of sums it up. You know, when you lead in love, you get results because God is love, and love is what drives the kingdom. So when you hear, when you see the words and hear the words from Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you know, what came with that was love. Because when the kingdom of heaven is at hand, means that the kingdom of heaven is near, what, what has come near you is love. And the, that love is so powerful because it was, it was Jesus himself, he, who was God, and God is love. So, you know, all the force of the universe... Yeah. that contains love is getting near and as it gets near you know you just, and it and it oh, oh, it may even touch you you can't help but want to surrender to that power i've got to have that i've got to have whatever is near me i've got to have that so come follow me and i'll make you fishers of men just come follow me and they drop their nets and go why because of love not because of a great sermon the power of love. Huey Lewis had it right in the 80s. I mean, it was like amazing. <laughs> Huey Lewis would be a great preacher because he wrote some great songs. Because he understood a little bit about love. Okay. <laughs> so, back to where we are. I also want to honor Pastor Bob and Jenny as well. You know, they're two of the greatest, two of our dear friends and just tremendous leaders. So you you know that as well. But honor you guys and, you know, thank you for just allowing me to be in your life as well. You know, they're a classic example of the, the pupil that has become the teacher. You know, the student has become the teacher. You ever heard that one before? They used to be our students and now they're our teachers. So that's good. I don't mind that at all. All right, let's get let's get going. 
because I can tell you testimonies from yesterday, but then you can tell me testimonies from yesterday and go, what? well, you don't know what happened here yesterday, Danny, you know, while you were in Tri-Cities. But there was, I will tell you, there's tremendous miracles in Tri-Cities. God moved and, and people got set free. People got healed. Families got restored. And I wish I had time to tell you this one particular story of a family that drove six hours from Montana and what happened with, uh, with uh, a father and his three sons. I, I'm just in awe over what God did uh, yesterday. And so my mission is to do what Jesus did. Because when Jesus walked into uh, the synagogue and opened, they opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he started reading, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, to mend the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who have been taken captive. Yes. To bring recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That is my mission. It's not just to preach the gospel to the poor, but it's to set liberty to those who've been taken captive. Because so many people have been taken captive by fear. So many people have been taken captive by, by anxiety. They've been in, taken captive by worry, by stress, by chaos, by money. By all kinds of things. And we're here to set captives free. Because when you walk in freedom, it's like this one girl said yesterday. She came up and gave her testimony. She, she, and she actually had gotten set free at her voice this summer from fear. Massive fear. She goes, I didn't know, how, I didn't know there was any other way to live. And I was a mother and I was projecting that on my children, fear and anxiety, overprotectiveness and everything, worry all the time. And I was doing it to my husband. And that was just my life. That was what was in me. And I didn't realize that I could actually be free from that. And I got free from that. And then she said, then I was in shock because all of a sudden I didn't know how to act because it wasn't there. See, when you pull something up by the root, it's not there anymore. So it's gone. That's why, you know, that's why John the Baptist said You'll, he will lay the axe to the root and every tree will be honed down and cast in the fire. The axe meaning truth, meaning Jesus. You lay the axe to the root. Jesus goes to the root of the problem. You pull the root out. So fear is gone. And she's like, I had, I had to all of a sudden learn how to live differently. And, it, and then she's talked about how awesome it was. Because, you know, she, it's like her posture and how she walks, how she lives, how she treats her kids. Everything shifted in an instant, just like that. So that was yesterday. And I, and I heard your day was uh, incredible, too. So let's get to a little bit of the word. I want to, I'm, what I'm going to do is expand on what you guys have been covering since the 1st of January in the area of finances. And I'm entitling my message today, MSG. <laughs> know your ingredients. Because sometimes if it slips in, it might put you to sleep. MSG stands for Mammon, Stewardship, and Generosity. You can open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis. And as we look at Genesis chapter 14, 
You know, here's Abraham. You're going to have to go back and read the story. If you don't know the whole story about Abraham rescuing Lot from captivity, then you you want to read about that where, you know, he takes his 300 and I think 85 men or so, 300 something odd men, and and he goes and and fights the four kings led by um, it's hard to, so hard to pronounce that name, Curtil Lammer or whatever you know it's that long ch word. That he goes and defeats those four kings and and takes Lot gets Lot back and all his possessions, and then he and then he runs into Melchizedek. In verse 18. And so, well, let's just back up. Let's, let's go to the verse 16. 14, verse 16. So here's Abraham. It says, so he brought back all the goods. So this is Lot's goods. And he also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. So your family's worth fighting for. Like someone messes with my kids, I want to, you know, even as a Christian, I want to rip the throat out. I, I want, you, I mean, you don't mess with my kids. It won't go well with you. And so here's what happened with Abraham. You know, he's going to rescue his nephew and, and took back all his goods. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of um, Ketalamer. And the kings were who with, and the kings were who were with him. So then, in verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God, most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will make take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Ishkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So what's the point of this? Abram is tithing to Melchizedek in faith. There is no law. Moses hasn't existed yet. There's no, you better give your 10% or you're robbing God and you're an awful human being and you're robbing the church and you're in sin and you're under the law and you're going to, you know, you're going to be cursed now. That, none of that's existing. What's, what's happening here is Abram who happens to be our father, we are sons of Abraham and daughters of Abraham. Why? Because you're, you're, if you're a Christian, if, that's who, if you're a believer, then you are joint heirs with Christ. And because you're joint heirs with him, he is in you and you are in him and you are one with him. The Bible says that you, because you're joint heirs with Christ, you have become sons of Abraham. So being a son of Abraham, why, not, why do we not look at our example? One of our fathers. He gave out of his generosity. He gave his tithe in faith to Melchizedek, which of course we know is Jesus, our type of Jesus. Okay, let's go to Luke, 9, Luke uh, 16. Luke 16. 
The point you're going to see out of Abram is, is that Abraham was generous. And God wants us to be a generous people. And Abraham was also a good steward. He was a good steward of people and things. That's why he went out and took on four kings with 300 and something men and defeated them. Because he was a steward, a great steward. But let's, when we go to Luke chapter 16, I want to take you now to Jesus' words speaking about a term called mammon that actually occurred you know, after he is visiting with his disciples about a certain rich man who had a steward that wasn't a very good steward. And the guy, it's like you work for this company and you're losing all this man's money and you're not, you know, you're giving out all the medical devices, but you're not getting, you're not taking any payment for them. Now you've got 86 medical devices out there. They're worth 10,000 a piece. And he's, your boss is going like, Hey buddy, how come you haven't, you could have at least used Venmo. I mean, can get the money from him? And the boss starts realizing, I'm going to fire you. I got to fire you. I got to let you go. You've, I've lost 86 units worth $10,000 a piece because you won't even take the money. Because you're too scared to make a sale. But you sure aren't too scared to get rid of my devices. That's kind of the scenario that Jesus was talking about with, in, in this story. But then after that story, here's what he says in verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, there's a lot to this, but I'm, and I'm not going to unpack all that today because there's a lot of depth and different stories within this or meanings. But it, Jesus said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So it's all life. It's always going to compound. It's all about the little things. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in, in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Stewardship. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, this is Jesus, you cannot serve God and mammon. And so the question is, well, what is mammon? You know, because that's what I started out with, MSG, mammon, stewardship, and generosity. You know, mammon, and I want to talk to you young people. I really, I'm not talking to you 50-year-olds. You know, you should already have it. And if you don't, then just you listen too. But I'm talking to you young kids. Because, you know, when I was a kid, I watched, we went to church every time the doors opened. Nothing matched up. I don't have time to get into that whole story today, which will turn you off from church, you know, because it's just boring. And everybody's in worship time, they're just, you know, it's like this with your hymn book open. And you're scared to move because you might be offensive. And, and then they pass around the offering plate and your dad sticks 20 bucks in the offering plate. The most, you know, all I ever saw my dad do was sometimes he would stick 20 bucks in the offering plate. And then I would hear my dad talk about... Um, the ten, that tithing and 10% meant, you know, just if you just give 10% of anything to God, you know, you've, you've pleased him. Like if you give 10% of yourself or 10% of your efforts or and I'm like, that doesn't, that never made sense to me. Now I didn't, I wasn't living for God or anything like that, but none of that made sense. And, but yet it shapes your worldview. And so 
I go, I go for basically 31 years without giving to God. Because I have no concept of what it means to give to God, to be a good steward of what God has put on this earth, and or, and, or to be generous. 31 years. So that's why I'm talking to you young guys and you young gals. Because if you grasp some of this concept right now, your life will be changed forever. Because right. this is not about, I'm talking to you, everybody in the room, because... Uh, you know, you somebody that you make $150,000 a year, and I'm trying to make sure that I come here this weekend and get you to give, you know, your 10% to make sure that you give your $1,500 a month. Uh, is that $1,500 a month? Yeah. A year? $1,500. Thank you, Jason. He's a better mathematician. Uh, to give your $1,500 a year to the church because you need to be a good steward. No, uh, $15,000. Thank you. You're not a good mathematician. <laughs> You're a really good. You're a really good preacher, but you're not a good mathematician. And I'm way too gullible. So thank you. Okay. But you young folks, you don't understand. You do. Some of you You may or may not. But let's just assume you don't. You don't understand that if you got a hundred dollar gift from somebody, what ten dollars, even ten. I mean, it could be more, but just even 10, what 10 would do if you recognize somebody, some poor person in the highways and byways and felt like, you know what, I need to give $10 to this person and so into their life, or I need to give this to that person. Or even you, even at your age, noticing that there's someone waiting on you at a restaurant that is a single female and you know you know that she has probably has two jobs maybe three and she may have a kid at home and she's a single mom and she's waiting on you and and but unless you've been taught that hey I could be a good steward here I could I could give her 50 out of my hundred dollars although my hamburger only cost $12.95 I'm gonna give this lady 50 you know what God sees that and you think you just lost 50 but no, because of your generosity and how it was recorded by an angel, God saw that and he goes, you know, what? I can trust this person because they're faithful with little. They'll be faithful with much. And God will begin to use you and multiply things around you. Yeah, so good. But the thing, the thing about mammon, which I haven't described yet, is you cannot serve God and mammon is because mammon is a spirit. And it's a spirit that rests on money. You know, money is money's got a spirit attached to it. Money's either got righteous authority attached to it or it has unrighteous authority attached to it. So money is neutral because it's currency and it's used to exchange, you know, to buy and sell goods. And so it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon because mammon is the spirit that attaches to money, it will cause one to be greedy. It'll cause one to be selfish. It'll cause one to be blind to really what the plans and purposes of God are for that money. It'll Mammon can basically cause you to trust more in the money itself than you're trusting in God. So that's the point Jesus is trying to make. You're act, he, he's trying to say you can't put more trust in your possessions and your money and you put in God because you're really serving that if you put more trust in your money because if it takes money to fix your problems right now. Some of you right now, you know, may think, some of you may be in a position where you're thinking, I've got to have, we've got to have more money. You know, we, 
Something's got to happen here. And you think money's going to fix it. And that, that in, you know, technically that may seem like the right answer, but money's not going to fix it. You know who's going to fix it? God's going to fix it. So it's a trust issue. It's a heart issue. It's where is, where is my trust? Do I trust in this over here, this mammon, and something's got to change? Or I may have to go get a new job. I may have to do this. You know, or this has got to come in. This is really, you know, uh, these, oh, man, the crypto's down. You know, Bitcoin's down to like 32,000 right now, and, you know, Ethereum's dropped, and, Oh, my goodness. And, and, and this is not a good time for that to do that because I was going to need to cash in on some of my stocks or some of my crypto so that we could afford this and pay this bill or pay this off. And it's not about that. It's about over here trusting in God, knowing, okay, I do recognize the situation I'm in, but I trust God. And God's going to come through for me. Actually, I just described my situation right now. Because I need to cash in some stuff from a technical standpoint in my life. But I don't care. I know how that looks. I know how my Tesla stock looks right now. Seriously. I know how my Bitcoin looks right now. I know how my XRP looks. I know how my Ethereum looks. I know how all of that looks right now in my accounts. And so it's not really a good time to be cashing that in for the money I need for certain bills and this, that, and the other right now. But I, I don't care. I trust in God. So I'm, now I'm going to try to get to you the point of like, why, why do I believe that? Okay. So here's, here's the thing. At 31 years old, guys and gals, you know, my wife and I began to start seeing the things of God. And we came to Christ in 1998, um, got saved, and as, as I started to get around, like be, go to church every week, I was in a Lutheran church when I got saved, and you start seeing more of the offering stuff and money. And, and, and after 31 years of hearing, you know, all churches talk about is money, and all pastors want is your money, and you know, all this kind of stuff. Those things are wound up in your head. They're wound up in your brain. They're wound up in your heart. It's part of your belief system that the church is after your money, that that's what you're just almost on the defensive when you hear the word money being talked about. And let me just make a little disclaimer here, just so for those of you who don't know me real well. I, my wife and I planted a church in 2011 called Bethel Dallas. And we, we actually bought a building prior to that called the Champion Center, named it the Champion Center and made it a special event center. And we bought it with our money so that the church could use it. So we bought the building, and my wife and I never took one, and I was the lead pastor, and never have never taken a dime from that church, not one. So that if you're wondering if I'm here motivated by offerings and all that today, no. I pastored for free. I paid the pastor. <laughs> and then we sold the building to the church, for a third of the price so they could have equity in it and have it. So we don't even have that church anymore. It's theirs. Okay, so that ought to help you in, if there's anybody that's got a little bit of that old-time religion in them that, where it got wound up like I did, you know? <laughs> I'm speaking to you from a pure heart on money. But, but the thing is, and that 
now I've got to really talk fast, and, and I think we can wrap it up because it, this is really about mammon, understanding mammon, understanding stewardship, and understanding generosity. When we got saved, all of a sudden we're around people, the church, and people that that all these money conversations. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. So I go to the one man. Me and my wife go to the one man who who's very he was wealthy, and and uh, he was a Christian, and we knew we could trust his his answer. So his name was Charlie, and we sat down with him, and I said, Charlie, I got, I got a question. And it was at a business meeting, a private meeting with about three or four of us. And I go, I got a question. I go, what is your take on tithing? I keep hearing about this in church. And he said, well, Danny, he goes, let me tell you this. He goes, all I know is what I found out about Jesus and all I know is this, is that all that money is God's in the first place. Every bit of it. Yeah. And he goes, and at least 10% of it, he, I owe him at minimum. He goes, so tithing is just like, he goes, that's just easy because it's all his anyway. And, and that was kind of the, the basis of it. And we, I go, okay, all right. So now I'm going to start tithing. And so, and so, you know, we're at the time we're making lots of money. I mean, I don't remember exactly what it was. It was like maybe sixty-five thousand a month or eighty-five thousand a month. So you're, now you're talking about, you know, eighty, maybe tithing eighty-five hundred dollars a month. And you think, because you know, he, and he did. T- I remember him saying this too. He said, "It doesn't matter how much money you make if you're making." He he used a couple of figures. I remember him making a small figure. He said, "Like if it's if you make two thousand a month, it's." You know, if you think it's hard, that's what he said. He said, if you think it's hard to write the check when you're making 2000 a month, he goes, it doesn't, it, it, it's just as hard when, when it's $200,000 a month. He goes, so what I learned is you write the check. And I went, okay. So we just started writing the checks and we started tithing. And, you know, we saw explosion in our life in every way. And I'm not talking about explosion and more money and more things and all that. Just explosion in fruitfulness, explosion in relationships, you know, in our Bible study and every, everything around us. And that doesn't mean persecutions won't come to your life. That doesn't mean suffering. That's part of being a Christian. That doesn't mean we're not going to suffer for him and all those things. But, but overall, you know, our generosity toward God began to multiply things in our life all around. But what God was teaching us is I own it all. And you are a steward of what, what I'm putting in your hands. And he started testing us. See, we don't test God. We can test him on one thing, I guess, when the Bible says, test me on this, the tithe. But we'd already done that. But you don't go testing him in a, you know, anything else because, because he will test us. And if you don't believe that, just read the Bible and study the Bible. God will test us and he'll test us to see if we do, if we, if about one issue. And you know what the issue is? Trust. He just wants to know, can I trust you? I'll give this to you, but can I trust you? Can you steward it wisely? So here's an example. He gave us this home in Round Rock, Texas. And we, we had this $285,000 home. So back in two, back in the year, you know, 2000, that's probably with inflation. What would that be right now? Maybe four hundred thousand dollar home or something like that. I mean, it's a nice home. Uh, well, I mean, we grew up poor. We grew up in rent houses and stuff like that. So, I mean, a two hundred eighty-five thousand dollar house, new, and you can buy it and you own it, man. That's a good feeling when you got three little boys and and it, 
all that. So we had this house for a couple of years, and all of a sudden, you know, one, one time I'm praying, my wife's going to a business meeting, and God says, in th- on a Thursday morning, in prayer, he says, I want you to give your house to Joe and Lori. Joe and Lori were our pastors. And I'm like, come again? <laughs> I want you to give your house to Joe and Lori. Did you not hear me the first time? No, he didn't do that. <laughs> he just he just told me that one time. So my wife comes home, and I'm thinking, oh, here's what I told God. Okay, God, how am I going to tell my wife when she gets home, we're giving our house away to Joe and Lori? Now, you know, you don't tell a woman, Mama Eagle, we're, we're abandoning our nest, and we're going to give it to the other eagle to fly in here. You don't. She's going... No way. So Diane comes home on Saturday after the business meeting, and she's in the kitchen. She goes, before we do anything, she goes, I've got to tell you something. She goes, this is serious. I've got to tell you something. And all of a sudden, just in, in my spirit, I go, really? I go, okay. <laughs> she goes, no, I've really got to tell you something. I go, okay. Uh, I, I knew exactly what she was going to tell me. She goes, I was at the business meeting, I was at the training, and she goes, at the very end of the training, I just started talking about being generous and saying, here's the things you can do with when you start, you know, when, when, this, when you become successful in business and actually have more than enough, you can start giving away things and doing this and all that. And, said, and, and you, can even, you can even give your, you could give your pastor a house. And, and then she gets on the plane. And she's reading her Bible, and the God on the way home, and God told her, shut the Bible, I want you to close the Bible. And so she closed the Bible, and he said, I want you to give your house to Joe and Lori. And so she comes home, and she's, she's scared to tell me that. And she, she tells me this story, and I go, well, yeah, he told me that Thursday morning. So like, he told both of us. And, and so we called Joe and Lori over to the house, and Joe and Lori come over, and we tell them, and Lori's, you know, bawling. She's crying, and she says, I knew it. She goes, God told me. She goes, God told me when I was, I just didn't know how to tell y'all that. I'm sitting at you. <laughs> she said, I was at the kitchen table, and God said, this is your house, and I'm going to give it to you. And she goes, I didn't want to tell you that. <laughs> and so, you know, he gives, he gives us, so they get the house, and then God says, you're moving to Nashville. They're our pastors, and they're two of our best friends and, and it's, it's at the time. I mean, they still are, but they're two dear friends. But they were two of our best friends at the time because we were helping them grow the church. And we're thinking, we're connected to them forever, and we're giving them our house. And now he's saying, move to Nashville. And so we moved to Nashville, and, you know, he gives us, bottom line, fast forward, there's lots to the story, but he, he gives us two houses Side by side, neither one of them were for sale. Neither one of them had a sign in the yard. And he gave, them, gave us both of those houses so that two of our other best friends at the time with their three daughters could move to Tennessee at the same time with us that he had told them they were moving to Tennessee. And we were next door neighbors for three years. And Diane and I own two houses now, not one. That's what God does. If you're generous, if you're willing to let go of what God gives you, the question is, can you let go? Can you let go of $10 out of a $100 gift? Can you let go of $2 out of, you know, a $5 gift or a $10 gift? Can you, can you let go of the toy that you were given for Christmas and give it to somebody else who needs it more? Can you let go of, of something else that you were given 
you know, that somebody needs? Can you let go of a pair of brand new shoes that you got that you know someone at your school could really benefit from them more if you pulled them aside in private and gave them to them and said, you know, I really want to bless you. I think you need these. I think you would want these. You know, or a brand new shirt or a brand, a brand, a brand new jacket or, I mean, anything like that. Just God will use all of these things because what it does, it's not just the gift itself. It's your stewardship. It's your heart of generosity that God uses to touch that person's life and it converts and it converts souls it changes people's lives so God uses just know God uses stewardship he uses generosity to 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 really win souls to help you win souls and change people's lives so he just wants to he what he's the test is he wants to see if you're faithful with little so he can trust you with much so it doesn't always start with a house See, some of that sometimes can blow you away because you're thinking, well, I don't have a house to give away. No, you, it doesn't matter what you have. We all have things that are in our possession. And those things that are in our possession are God's and they're not ours. Because if, if you think that if you're really holding on to it, it's something you really can't let go of because you love it so much, then it rules you. It's your idol. And, and the spirit of mammon can be attached to that very thing. Like I, I had a Rolex, my wife and I, because we grew up poor. I mean, I mean, when you grow up poor and you start making a lot of money, you want stuff. Does anybody disagree with that? <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, you know, my wife loves a great home. You know why? Because she grew up in a stinking shack and got molested because she didn't have a wall. A, my wife didn't have a bedroom wall. So you think a house is important to her? Yeah. But what she realizes is God owns now is God owns our house. And if he says, give it up, give it up. So don't think you can't have things. God just wants to heal and he'll give you things to test you to see if he can trust you with that. So I had this. So she wanted a Rolex. I wanted a Rolex. So we went when we were in Australia, we bought Rolexes in 2003. And it was cool. We had our first Rolex. You know, it feels good. You know, and one day I'm in praise and worship. I remember my hands were in the air and we're in church. And God said, I want you to give your Rolex to Mike Dial. And I'm like, man, I like my Rolex. This is cool. I'm young and this is, it's a good watch. And I told Diana, I go, man, Diana, get home. I go, God wants me to give my Rolex to Mike Dial. And she's like, What? So I mail my, I package it up, insure it, mail it to Mike and give it to him. I saw Mike four days ago at a funeral and this week. And I was just, I was, that's why I remember this story. And I was just talking about, go, Mike, I got to tell you something, man. You know, the, the Rolex I gave, because I saw his hand, he had a Rolex on. And I go, is that, is that the one? Because I don't remember what it looked like. He goes, no, that's not the one. Uh, I go, well, that's, that's fine anyway. I go, because you know that, the one I gave you? He goes, what's cool about that? is God's given me two Rolexes since then. Because I've never bought another Rolex. I go, but I, he gave me this one. And then my son goes, oh, here's the other one, Dad. And so we're showing Mike two Rolexes. I go, that's what happens with God. Because I gave a Rolex away, and then I said, I don't care if I ever wear a Rolex again. I'm not bu- ever buying a Rolex again. So God just gives me two Rolexes. That's God's economy. So this is not a prosperity message. This is not name it, claim it. This is not we're all going to get wealthy. I'm trying to talk to you about stewardship. Even to the point of in the restroom in there, 
You know, will you ever go in the restroom and, and you go in there and you see pee on the seat? That's bad stewardship. It's bad stewardship. In Champion Center, our building that we rent, I, I put a sign it's when we, because I'm big on stewardship all the time. Not just, it's not just money. It's can you be trusted with little? Because we put a sign on all the, in front of all the urinals, I mean, in front of all the commodes and all the stalls for the men in the men's bathroom at our church, which was the Champion Center. And the little sign said, uh, if, you're, if you pee, please lift up the seat. Because, uh, you know, you got urinals, then you got your stalls. But in the stalls, sometimes guys go in there because they just, I, I don't know why, and then pee on the lid. <laughs> it's the spirit of stupid. But, <laughs> but I put the sign up there. I put the, I put the sign up there, and I go, if you pee, please lift up the seat, and then the verse, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. With the, and and in, 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 the, in those 10 years we had the church, do you know how many times I saw pee on a lid? Maybe twice in 10 years. So it's amazing how, you know, if you just ask people to be a good student and teach them, they can do it. So it's just like a hotel I was in the other night at the Hampton Inn. I'll give you another example. I'm not trying to, this is not rabbit trail. This all has to do with stewardship. And I'll come back to mammon itself. But, you know, I go, I'm tired. It's freedom night, you know, ministering and it's late. And I get to my room, you know, at about 1030 and I want to go to sleep. But you know what? In the room next door, it's, it's noise. There's just people. And you, you can be in your hotel room and talk and all that. But there's a difference between talking in your hotel room and just people being rowdy and then coming in and out of the room and just slamming the door. It's like really just where well, you hear, you know, and it's 1130 and it's midnight and you're trying to sleep and the door is just instead of how come you can't open the door at 1130 at night in a hotel room and go in and then behind you just close it quietly because you don't understand the principle of stewardship. You, that because you're not faithful in those little things, God can't even trust you with other things and much less money. So you know what? You don't even have to worry about the money because you're going to be broke and disgusted and you're going to be a party animal and you're going to. And you're going to wonder why the rug's always getting swept out from under you. And you're going to wonder why you never get ahead and your good things don't happen to you. It's because you pee on the seat. It's because you... It's because you spit your gum in the urinal because you don't care because you don't own it and you're not cleaning it up. And so you think some you think some immigrants going to come in there that gets paid ten dollars an hour and they need to get their stick their hand in there and get the gum out of the urinal because you could care less instead of having the decency to spit your gum in the trash can. That's stewardship. So how does mammon get involved in all this? Mammon. It's everything, guys. It's everything. So now I got to fast forward to just really mammon, so you, you so you get it. You know, mammon can, can mammon is can attach itself to money and control your decisions. And you think that your need for money is so strong that you can't change a situation, and it blinds you. Mammon blinds you. I know this from personal experience. Don and I were in a business in a company that once was a great company. And, and the, you know, the owners of the company began to remove God from the equation, which is not a good idea. And it can get you in trouble. And so we recognized these things through the years. And we, 
we stay, you know, God would speak to us. So, there, man, there, this would take about an hour because I've got stories of when God said, pull back, don't do this, you know, re-engage, things like that. But there was a point where in 2011 where I was just done. I was being persecuted. Uh, Bob and Jenny were being persecuted as well because we were doing ministry meetings and people's lives were getting changed and all that. And I baptized a guy in a fountain in front of the Louvre in Paris who was six foot nine. And they put it on Facebook. And I told you know how Jesus told people when he healed them, now don't go tell anybody. I told all my friends, do not take pictures and do not put this on social media. Don't do it. And somebody took pictures and they put it on social media. So everybody found out I'm baptizing this tall basketball player in the Louvre and in front of the Louvre. And, and I'm getting, they want to kick me out of the company. And so at the time we're, we were multimillionaires. We're making a lot. They're paying us a lot of money and they pull me in and just rake me over the coals, you know, that we're going to kick you out. The daughters, the owners, the owners want you gone. You're a menace and blah, blah, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and what, here's what I didn't know. Because when you're making, when you're getting paid $300,000 a month by somebody and with no paperwork, so you don't really have to do a whole lot, you're thinking, okay, I don't, I don't want to jeopardize that check. And so in, those, in that situation, I don't recognize, one, my value. And two, I, I, I just don't, I don't have the strength to stand up for myself what I really believe uh, because there's $300,000 a month on the table. And I could take that check if I just walk out and go, you know what, I'll just do it undercover like the Chinese church. I'll just do it underground and thinking that's going to justify it. But I was done. You know, emotionally, I was done. I came home and I told Diane, I'm, I'm out. I, got, I'm, I can't do this. I'm not going to work this business anymore. And then, you know, there's a lot to that story. And, and that didn't happen. Kept working it. And next thing, you know, the years go by and God is patient and he's merciful and all that kind of stuff. But in 2016, you know, when, when God's hand was off our company and the FTC attacked us because God allowed that to happen. And we're grateful for it because of what did happen. Um, you know, we're now in this FTC investigation as a company, but the FTC came after me and my wife too, individually. So now the, the big bad wolf is after me and my wife. And so when the federal government, which represents the devil, <laughs> now don't take that literally, don't take that literally, but, but what I will tell you is, you know, those, those bureaucratic agencies with three letters, FBI, I mean, yeah, uh, IRS, FTC, SEC, GSA, they're basically criminal organizations. And if you don't believe that, you haven't had any experience with them. They're, they really aren't. They're mostly criminal, primarily criminal organizations wearing suits. And that's just the truth. I'm telling you. But they came after us. And so you got the weight of the U.S. government trying to crush your life and take everything. And they tell, they're going to tell you they're taking everything. Taking all your money, we want 16.6 million from you, and not only have 16.6 million, they want your cars, they want your kids' cars, they want your watches, your jewelry, your houses, your cash, they want it all. And they are going after it with everything they've got. And they're trying to squeeze you like an anaconda into surrendering. And our company got squeezed and they surrendered. And the CEO got squeezed and he surrendered. The daughters got sweet, the owners, and they surrendered. The other, there was one other couple that they came after. They got squeezed and they surrendered. And, and the harder they tried to squeeze, 
the matter, the more frustrated I got and the more holy anger rose up in me to, to where there was finally a point because God said, I'm calling you into the fight. Because you know what we were fighting? Mammon. Mammon was trying to tell me, surrender, because I've owned you this whole time anyway because you make all your decisions based on money. And there was, a, and finally there was a time where it just snapped and that spirit broke off of me and my wife. And I realized I don't need this company. I don't need money. I don't need houses. I don't need cars. But what I, but what I do need is God Almighty on my side. And so I'm in Washington and I'm looking and I'm with the five commissioners. And the last thing, here's the last thing I told them before they had to sue us because we wouldn't settle with them. Because they don't want to sue you. They want you to settle because they squeeze you because they destroy 99% of all people settle because they've squeezed them into submission. They do not want to sue you because it's trouble for them and it takes time. Well, I said, here's the deal. You, what you're doing to me and my wife is unfair. You want to make us a trophy buck on your wall. If you guys, you know what that means. I go and me and my wife are not going to be your trophy on the wall. I go, so here's what's going to happen. If you take us to federal court, me and my wife, we're going to win. We're going to win because we're innocent and we're going to fight for our honor and our integrity. And I said, and you know what? Even if we don't win, you know what's going to happen? We're going to win because God is on our side and you can't take him away from us. And we're going to turn this world upside down for him and that you cannot take. So we've won either way. So you just decide what you need to do. See, that's when mammon has no more control over your life. And then... And then you got to stand. See, just like when you're in a frustrated financial situation right now and you feel like, you know, I don't know where, where to go. Where, I don't know what to do. You stand. Because we stood and we stood. And you know what we told God almost every day? God, we don't need this house. God, we don't need these cars. God, we don't need, we don't need bank accounts. God, we don't need jewelry. We don't need Rolexes. We need Jesus. And we told him, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not, this is truth. I'm telling you what came out of our mouth. I go, God, all we need is Jesus. All we need is a backpack. If you just give me a backpack and let me travel the world and do missionary work and turn the world upside down for you, that's all I need, Jesus. That's it. And when, and so God, God wants to know, can I trust you? Can I trust you? That's all he wants to know. Because if you're faithful with little things, I can trust you with your Rolex. I can trust you with your Corvette. I had, a, or I had an unbelievable 2019 Z06 Corvette. Man, bright orange. I love it. It was my dream car growing up. There's so much to that story because it really was the orange car. That orange, that Tennessee orange, that was my dream car as a little boy. And, that, and they didn't bring back that color, Corvette didn't, for 45 years until 2018. And when it came out, I stared at that sucker for a year before I broke down finally bought one. And I bought that 2009 Corvette, man, and I drive. It's, it's the most amazing. It's the only vehicle I've ever been in that actually gives this like joy when I get in and drive it. Like fun. But, because I've had Vipers and I've had other Corvettes and all that kind of stuff, but none of them gave me joy. None of them was like thrilling when I got in it. But this car was thrilling. But you know what I did this spring? I'm driving down the road one day, and my buddy, Pastor William Lactari, who's a bishop, he, he's from locally, but he, he's got, a, he's got a, a Christian school and a church and a farm in Kenya, had to finish his school, his Christian school. And he needed the money to, to finish the school. And I'm driving in the vet, and I go, you know what, this vet could be a Christian school. And so 
I called Pastor William. I said, Pastor William, I'm on the road right now to XYZ place. And I just want you to know this vet's about to be a Christian school. And he knew exactly what I was talking about. Because I don't need that vet. It was fun though. It was awesome. But I don't need it. You know what? Kenya needed that Christian school. Can you be, can he trust you with the little? How generous are you? I got to tell you one more story. I know that Daniel's got to kick me out of here. But, you know, during this whole FTC thing that started in 2016, when, when everything kind of fell apart in all of our lives in 2019, but it didn't really fall apart. It's just that was the facade, kind of like Spider-Man. That was the facade, but it was actually a promotion. God was promoting us. What we saw, what we thought was really horrible and evil and the destruction of our lives was actually the promotion. They look at their promotion with Crestview and my, me and my wife's promotion and all that. But since 2019, when the appearance of all that was happening and bad, we haven't had an income until this past year and uh, really the first of June. So last, last spring, after having been almost two years with no income, that's called the sands of the hourglass, you know, or just... You know, it's just, you know, because the government's already tried to take everything you have, lawyer fees and just every, everything else. So you're, the money's been draining and, and we have no income. And the Lord puts it on my heart to sow into these missionaries in Nicaragua that are, are part of a ministry called Mountain Gateway. There's just, and they didn't ask me for money or nothing. I just told Diana, I feel like the Lord wants us to, to, give Jacob and Cassie $4,000 a month. I mean, where, where does that come from when you don't have a job? You don't have a career. You don't have any cash flow. And you, do you think the devil's telling you, hey, give these missionaries $4,000 a month? No. God was prompting me to give, say, I know this is coming out of the hourglass. This, the sand is coming, you know, it's all ticking away, but we need to give $4,000 a month to Jacob and Cassie so that they can, their team can go to Nicaragua and fulfill their mission. Well, you, you know what happened uh, probably a month and a half later? J Jacob and Cassie's team raised the 10th, out of their ministry, raised their 10th person from the dead. A little boy who had drowned and floated down the river was completely black and blue, completely dead, completely bloated. They pulled him out of the river and his team prayed for that little boy and he popped up on his feet and God raised him from the dead. Your, your generosity, your generosity is not money for Pastor Ben and Heather uh, to have a date night, in, you know, in Seattle or down in downtown Portland and eat Killer Burger. Although that's all I know. So it's, but, or help go have, you know, it's, your offerings aren't for Pastor Ben and Heather to, you know, to take 12 people after church to go down and have sushi and pull out the church card and go, hey, it's on the church because, man, we, we're blessed because this guy just gave us like $1,500 out of his tithe. No, that's not the point of giving. The point of giving is where the, the body of Christ will use that to, to, for true riches and for those true riches to be converted into souls. And so mammon's not attached to that. But you've got to understand that mammon is a spirit that wants to attach to you and control you and tell you 
what to do with your money instead of God. Because every time God starts telling you to try to do something with your money, that spirit comes in and says, no, we don't have enough. We can't do that. No, are you serious? You think, you, you know, you may not make it. You know, you don't have enough income right now. You need to wait till you get to this point before you do. See, kids, you, there's, there's never, where, where do you start? You start now. You start being generous as a teenager. You start being generous as an elementary student. You start being generous. I mean, as soon as you understand, wow, the more I give, the more God will show up in my life in every shape, form, and fashion. He will fight on my behalf. That's, that's where mammon has no control. But I'm telling you, the pressure of money will allow a spirit called mammon to, put, to, to completely blind you. And then you will quit trusting in the power of the one, the Holy One of Israel, our Father. And I'm telling you, our Father, go ahead and stand with me. Our Father wants the best for you. That doesn't mean the Christian life is easy. And that doesn't mean we're all going to get rich. This, had, this, this sermon had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with just not letting a spirit control you with the, with the money you have in your accounts and in your wallet. And if you do a real study of Abraham and the promises that are and the inheritance that is, that is for you because of that covenant, you're children of the covenant. And because you're children of the covenant, you wanna be like your dad. And Abraham is a representation. You know, he's our father. He's our, he's a great repre representation of what, it, of how we want to live. We want to, we want to tie, we want to tithe out of our faith. We want to be generous out of our faith and trust God. You know, he, he trusted him with Isaac on the altar. He trusted God in every situation. And that's why God said, I will bless you. I'll bless And you're going to be able to count your descendants from you know, just like as many as the sands of the sea, as many as the stars in the sky, you're going to be able to count your, count your descendants. See, you're going to live, you, you want to live for generational legacy. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to live with proper stewardship, with great generosity, and not letting mammon attach to you. So Father, right now, I pray for your people. If, you have, if you've struggled with this and you haven't been generous, I know we got, we got another service starting at 11. Is that correct? So we got a lot of transition to take place. Um, well, guys, here's the thing. This morning, for some of you, this may be a turning point in your life where, you're just, where you have to take a faith step. Where you realize, you know what, I've been stingy. And I'm not gonna say you rob God, you're cursed. No, no, it's not that. You've just been stingy. You've been stingy. And it's not that you've wanted to be stingy, it's just there's been a spirit called mammon that has been speaking to you and trying to rule over you to cause you to to be too frugal. To or to be too to hold on too tightly, thinking that's where your security is. That's the whole point. Your security has been the little that you have to get by, you know, to make ends meet. And that's not God's economy. God wants you to release what you have in trust. Let him speak to you in faith so that he can 
you can show him that you can be trusted with much. So Father, I pray for your people right now. I pray that you move in their life. I pray that you're instructing them right now on what, what they're to do. All we want is to be in agreement with heaven on what you say about each and every one of these people. So Lord, I'm in agreement with heaven on what you say about their life. I'm in agreement with heaven on what you say about their bank account. I'm in agreement with heaven on what you say about their giving. I'm in agreement with heaven on what you say about their generosity. I'm in agreement with heaven about where you tell, who you tell them to give it to and where you tell them to give it to, what you tell them to give it to, how much you tell them to give it to. I'm in agreement with what heaven says about those issues. I only want, Lord, Pastor Ben and Heather only want what you say to, to them, what you want from them, what you expect from them, not about what we expect. Let them have no expectations from man. No expectations from me, Pastor Ben or Pastor Heather. Only expectations from heaven and what heaven says. And as they come into agreement with you, God, and what heaven says about their life and their stewardship and their generosity and how you're going to use them and in those specific ways, I pray, Lord, that they begin to see that I can be trusted with much. And I can be even be, see true riches happen in my life and see the kingdom advance and souls change forever. That's the prayer I pray over your people this morning. In Jesus' Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To find out more, visit thecollectivechurch.com.